In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So you know this, right? November 1st is always All Saints Day on the church year calendar, but in the church we often transfer days. So today is All Saints Sunday. It gives us an opportunity to remember the saints who have gone before us in this life, both the well-known ones who have done great works, who are the shining lights of the world, so to speak, and the humble, ordinary ones who have sought God with their heart, who have held fast to their faith, even in times of testing, and who had led lives of kindness and mercy toward others whenever and wherever they had the opportunity. We need people in our lives, I think, to inspire us, right? So the world offers us such people, celebrities, heroes and heroines, and others that we emulate. Sometimes they're people in the arts, in sports, people in the civil rights movement, the feminist movement. Maybe they're in the world of business and innovation and so on. They fill our need to put some people on a pedestal. And then they also fulfill our need to give someone else some honor and praise. Often, though, their fame and celebrity put a distance between us and them. And sometimes circumstances catch up with them and their shiny status becomes nothing more than just a shallow and fragile veneer. Sometimes these very heroes and heroines that we want to lift up disappoint us terribly. The church doesn't offer such celebrities. On All Saints Sunday, the church doesn't lift up people for their fame. Rather, the church remembers people for the quality of their life, their work lived in faith, their gratitude their acts of mercy, those who are simply seeking to be followers of Jesus Christ. Certainly over the centuries, many of those whom we call saints have become well known to us. There are men and women who have that designated saint title, like St. Francis, St. Teresa, St. Peter, St. Nicholas. But on All Saints Sunday... It is the whole communion of saints that we remember. All of those among us who reflect something of the love of Christ and have helped us to see Christ a little more clearly, love a little more deeply, follow a little more nearly. Saints are everywhere. And in the New Testament, there are a lot of references to saints, especially in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul calls the members of the Church of Rome saints, and the Philippian and Colossian Christians as well. Interestingly, the word saints is used 57 times in the New Testament, but never does it describe a specific individual. It's always used in the plural to describe the many, the whole, all who belong to Christ. We are always saints together, 
never saints alone. So when the Apostle Paul picks up his pen and writes to the church in Ephesus, he writes to all the saints in that place who have been blessed with every spiritual blessing by God, who are called and chosen in Christ and are destined to be adopted by Christ to be God's beloved children. So entering into this lesson, uh, into the second lesson for today, into this letter to the Ephesians, it's kind of like walking into a cathedral, I think. The language is just majestic, and it's complex, and it's soaring. I'll just read a portion of it that Brian read earlier. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which God has called you. What are the riches of God's glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable, immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power? It's not ordinary language. This is cosmic language. There is soaring eloquence in his words that carries us high above our everyday living. It overpowers our senses, I hope, and it inspires our faith. One stunning line in particular has inspired many. The line that says that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Blaise Pascal... Anybody know him? The 17th century French mathematician and scientist and philosopher coined it just a little bit differently. He said, the heart has reasons the mind knows not of. Pascal lived in the time of the Age of Enlightenment, a time of great expansion of science and philosophy, and in his day and age, reason was everything. It was invincible. For some, that's true even today. But Pascal saw limits in reason. For him, reason was only effective through the senses. The senses helped tell us what was what. But perhaps we still need a bit more. Because how do we deal with the mysteries of life, such as tragedy or human cruelty or suffering? We see these things, we sometimes experience them, but how do we process and understand them? The same is true for the good things of life, like beauty and love. How can we explain these with only a rational mind. So perhaps, according to Paul, the heart has something to do with it. In the biblical way of understanding things, the organs of the body uh, work together, but the heart is foremost. In biblical terms, the heart is the innermost spring of life. It is the source of all of our physical intellectual, emotional, and volitional energies, and the place and center of our meeting God. I don't think you find that in medical school, but that's what Paul says. 
This is why at the core of all this soaring thought, Paul prays that the eyes of our heart will be enlightened. And why does he say that? So that through all the tangle of events that swirl around us, that are hard and unanswered questions that hit us all the time, that are cloud of reasoning and, and wear away at our faith, that we still might be able to see the truth. And the truth is that there is an unalterable hope to which we've been called. We are not a people whose hope is merely wishful thinking. Our hope is firmly planted in the God who has created all things and in whom all things are sustained and always possible. Without hope, there's no glimpse to the future, and even the present becomes meaningless. So for us who have been called into a relationship with Christ into the church and who have planted our lives firmly in God's promises, there is a great and unfading hope that will never fail to make itself evident to us. As Paul says, through the eyes of our hearts, what is the magnificence and splendor of the inheritance which is promised to us in Jesus Christ, indeed, which we already possess. don't know if you've heard this story about William Randolph Hearst. He read an article about a painting, and he was absolutely enchanted by it. It was beautiful, it was priceless, and he had this strong desire to own it. So he got a couple of agents together, sent them on a world tour looking for this piece of art, and said, when you find it, pay anything that you need because I want it. And three months went by, and finally one of the agents came back and said, I found the piece of art that you're looking for. And he said, great, where is it? And he said, it's in your warehouse, Mr. Hurst. You already own it. The treasure he sought was already his. If he had taken the time to know what he had, he wouldn't have had to go through that trouble we have an even more priceless treasure, our inheritance of God's undying love shown to us through Jesus Christ. And finally, through the eyes of our hearts, Paul wants us to see this. What is the surpassing greatness of the power available to us who believe? We do not have to face life using our own strength. God supplies us with everything that we need. We need only trust and faith in God. We'll not experience it with the eyes of our minds, but as we journey forward in faith, we'll experience God's presence with us, God's love with us, God's grace with us in new and wonderful ways each and every day. And we'll see a renewing of our energies and a clarity to our purpose in living. Lawrence Hall Stuckey, who was a professor of worship and liturgy and preaching, once wrote, 
Faith needs visual aids. I think that's probably true. Sometimes we just need a little help. So we build churches with stained glass windows. We light candles. We have pictures and icons and other things that help us remind us of God. The church has always known that in its history. Um, in places like Ephesus, right, where this letter, the second lesson was written, uh, churches were constructed with great domes to represent heaven. And on the highest ceilings, they would paint or portray in mosaics the figure of Christ, who then was ruling over all creation and watching them with love and compassion. And then around the edges of the dome, there would be representations of the saints, those martyred in the first century especially, and those who were revered as heroes of the faith also watching over the worshipers and cheering them on and encouraging them in their journey in faith. The saints, those who have received the inheritance and live with Christ in the glorious kingdom of light. So yes, I do think our faith needs visual aids. That's why we light candles and we bring pictures to remember those who mean so much to us. And it helps us see hope because we use the eyes of our heart to see what hope really is. That it's part of our calling, that it's part of our spiritual richness in the Christian faith. And all of us are learning that it is a gift that comes from the Holy Spirit to bring us closer to Christ. I love what one preacher said once. He said that the world hides God in plain sight. Only those who look with the eyes of their hearts can really see God. I do believe that our hearts see things that our minds cannot. Look around you. You can see God in nature, right? In creation. Can you not see and experience God in other places too? In music, in hymns, in things that inspire the soul, in art, in relationships, in a kind word and encouragement from a friend in someone's deed of compassion and caring, in the face of a stranger perhaps crying out for help, in the gathered community of Christ for the purpose of growing deeper in faith or envisioning what God has in mind for us in our own future. We see God in simple things like bread and wine and grape juice and the water of baptism. And today... We see God in all these lighted candles, signs of our communion with all the saints whom we love and honor and who are here with us today, maybe not in pictures around a dome, but in our hearts and minds to cheer us on. These lights are here to say that God is here, that Christ is present 
with the saints around us. And maybe the eyes of your heart can see that. May the eyes of our hearts always be so enlightened that we may see what is the hope of our calling, the riches that are ours, and the strength that God gives us for our journey ahead. Thanks be to God. Amen.